Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church. This message is from our Renovate series, where we take a look at relationships through a biblical perspective and was recorded at our Menifee campus. The world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Verse 20, remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. Verse 22. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and have hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. Verse 26. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Verse, um, I, sorry, chapter 16, verse 1. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Thank you, Bree, for reading that. Um, if you guys need a Bible, um, actually, the, probably the best thing would be, um, we've got these little Gospel of John. So if you guys don't have a Bible with you, we're going to be mostly in John. Just put your hand up and somebody from the back there will, will give you one or I'll try to throw one at you skillfully. Here. Boom. Done. All right, let's, uh, let's pray and ask for the, for the Lord's leading. Father, as we've um, been in your word the last um, several weeks in John, and we've seen your promise of the Holy Spirit, Lord. We're, we're emboldened, Lord. We're emboldened to, to just know and believe that you will be here and meet with us. And I just pray, Lord, that you would speak through me, Lord, that you would help me to speak your word accurately, Lord, that you would edit anything I'd have to say to remove the things that are not of you. Lord, we pray, too, that even beyond what I say from the word, Lord, that you would give me a gift of, of insight, Lord, in my speech, Lord, that somehow you would speak to me, through me, to the hearts of the people here, Lord. We have come as your children, and we desire to hear from our Father, Lord, and we are confident that you will speak. We thank you, as Jamal said, that you are already here and that you have invited us here. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we are, we're in John um, 15, and it kind of bridges over a little bit into 16. And I just want to remind you guys of where we're at. So where we're at is, this is the night before Jesus died, 
And um, he's already, they've had the Last Supper, the disciples and Jesus have had the Last Supper. And they're walking now down to the garden, the area where Jesus would be betrayed. And as they're walking, he's teaching them. And um, what he taught them a couple weeks ago was that even though they are super sorrowful that he's leaving, it's actually the best thing that could ever happen to them because the Holy Spirit is now going to come into his people in a new way that they've never experienced before. And last week we saw because the Holy Spirit dwells in us, he actually connects us to Jesus such that Jesus lives his life through us. That as we abide in him, his actual life will be lived through us. And if you didn't get those, we have that on the podcast. But now things are getting really intense. You know, you see in verse 18, Jesus says, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. Guys, this is not exactly a coffee mug type verse, right? You wouldn't probably have a coffee mug like this. It's not like you, on a Monday morning, go through your collection of Christian coffee mugs, and you've got the, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me mug, or you could choose the, if the world hates you, know that it hated me. You know, maybe there's a market for this, you know? You might want to try that. You guys that are entrepreneurs, maybe start some business where you make coffee mugs from verses that have been neglected so far and such things. (laughs) Um, and it might sound a bit strong for, our, for us in our context, um, in a country here where we're free to be Christians. And we're going to get to that. We're going to get to how it applies to us. But first, can we back up to the historical context and agree that the world hated Jesus? The world did hate Jesus. After countless attempts on Jesus' life, a strange alliance forms between you know, very religious Jewish leaders and these pagan Roman rulers, people that were natural enemies, band together to kill him. Um, they kill him ultimately in the cruelest way that the kingdom knew, that the uh, empire knew at that time, which was crucifixion. You have mobs of people coming out to, to mock Jesus and enjoy the show of his death. The world hated him. And I think we can agree also that the world has hated Christians in the past. We can think of those original disciples. All but one of them ended up being killed in, in grof, uh, graphic and gruesome ways, followed by hundreds of years of persecution. You have the persecution under Nero, and then you have several persecutions until the 300s when that stopped. And I think we can agree, too, that Christians are hated in the world today in many countries. Um, if you go on the U.S. State Department website, you can find that there are 60 countries right now where Christians face persecution by, the, by their governments or their neighbors simply because they believe in Jesus. And so Jesus' words ring true. And we, guys, even in this time and in this land, have been promised a measure of persecution for ourselves. Um, Jesus says in verse 20 here of chapter 15, he says, Remember the word that I said to you, a, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Now, that persecution takes different forms. We can see that in chapter 16. Look at verse 2. He says, they're going to put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering a service to God. And you have two different types of persecution there. You have kind of a social economic persecution. Being put out of the synagogue wasn't just that you couldn't come to worship there, but that you were being excluded from the community. That had social and family and economic repercussions. And then you see the physical harm, right? Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think they're offering a service to God. And we've seen that today, haven't we? Do we see around the world Christians being killed by people who think they're offering a service to God? We do. So Jesus' words ring true. The, the other thing you've got to realize is not only does persecution vary, it can be social, economic, and it can be physical, but it also is not always I think this is where we get kind of tripped up. We think, you know, that we have to always be experiencing persecution. But if you look at verse 18, he says, if the world hates you. In in chapter 16, verse 1, it says, the hour is coming when these things will happen. 
even in the early church, guys, they weren't persecuted all the time. You look at chapter 2, it says that they were breaking bread and fellowshipping, all that, and it ends with, and they had favor among the people. You know, that's chapter 2. By chapter 7 of Acts, there's hostility. Stephen gets uh, killed by stoning, and then there's a whole persecution that breaks out. And Paul reminds us, guys, in in 2 Timothy 3.12, he says that we will eventually experience some persecution. Every Christian will. He says, indeed, all who desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Not just all missionaries will be persecuted, all pastors will be persecuted, all evangelists. He says, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But guys, it is really important, and I think you guys might even be thinking this right now, some of you, to properly define persecution, okay? That's really important. Um, There is a thing called a persecution complex. You guys know what that is? A persecution complex is an irrational or obsessive feeling or fear that one is uh, the object of collective hostility or ill treatment on the part of others. And so it's this thought that people are persecuting me. People are are, um, hostile towards me when they're not. And us as Western Christians in America can see persecution when it doesn't exist. Okay, we're good at doing that too. There was an article in the Atlantic Monthly, which is a a real liberal, politically liberal magazine, but it was written by a a Christian, and the title of it is The Evangelical Persecution Complex. I saw that this week. And, And we do that sometimes. Sometimes we think we're being persecuted. Guys, it is not persecution that we are losing political power. That's not persecution. That's called demographic shift. Okay, that's not a persecution. Neither is it persecution when you're mistreated for being a jerk. Okay, which happens, okay? Um, 1 Peter 4.15, he talks about that. He says, let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. I feel like there should be a sermon on meddling. You know, get all the verses together, maybe next week. But let none of you suffer as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but glorify God in his name. You know, we all know people like this, right? We've all had, you know, he's, you know, a friend goes, hey, I think I'm being persecuted at work. And I'm like, dude, I know you, and I feel like persecuting you. <laughs> like, it's you. It's not them, right? That happens. And we've all probably been that person, right? We've all been that person that, you know, people speak evil as us as Christians because of our conduct, not because of Christ. But guys, real persecution does happen. And real persecution is when we're mistreated for openly living as disciples of Jesus and sharing his message. And it can happen physical, it can happen social. Just because you're not being persecuted physically doesn't mean you're not being persecuted. It can happen socially as well or economically. And years ago, I might have added, you know, we're probably only likely to see the social kind. But guys, our country's shifting rapidly. I don't know what's most likely anymore. Do you? You know, we don't know what's coming. Our country's shifting rapidly. And um, it would be ministry malpractice, guys, to not prepare you to suffer for Christ. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's preparing his people to suffer for him, to be persecuted. Look at um, 16.1. He said, I have said all these things to keep you from falling away. And then in verse 4, but I have said these things to you now so that when the hour comes, you may remember that I told you. It helps them to know ahead of time that they're going to experience this, that we not get caught off guard. And I think in a kind of positive kind of Christian culture, we can get caught off guard. We cannot expect persecution. We cannot expect difficulty. Um, Peter got caught off guard. I mean, Jesus was the best preparer possible. He got caught off guard, right? When he was tested, he denied Jesus. He failed the test. And I think that's why, guys, when you read Peter's first letter, it's all about persecution. It's all about preparing you. He's like, I wasn't prepared. 
I didn't pass the test, and I want to help you to do it. And so if you read 1 Peter, you'll see tons of things about persecution in there. And if you look at chapter 4, verse 12, he says, Beloved, I love this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. I think as Christians in America, because we're used to probably having being dominant culture, and then now we find that we're not, we think it's strange. We're like, how dare they? How can this be? And yet, our Bibles talk consistently about this happening. Um, we need to be prepared, even in this country. Um, otherwise, you know, when, when persecution happens, we'll think something's wrong, and we're doing it wrong, or we're saying it wrong, and we'll fall away. Um, and guys, a teaching that doesn't prepare you to suffer in a world full of suffering is worthless, okay? So examine, I know you guys, this is the only place you get teaching when you're listening to things and stuff. Listen to people that prepare you to suffer well. We need that. Um, and, you know, the kind of teaching that is kind of Jesus wants to make your whole life better type of quote-unquote gospel is massively deficient in this area. You know, this, this idea that God never wants you to suffer. He never wants you to go through anything painful. He only wants to make your life better. Guys, people that hear that, when they go through trials and they go through difficulty, you know what they do? They get mad at God. They say, how dare he not give me my best life now? I thought things were going to be better. I thought he was going to make everything well. And, but the, the crazy thing about it is, Jesus never said that. Jesus has been very upfront. I mean, he was, pick up your cross and follow me. What's that? I mean, in our language, it'd be, pick up your, you know, electric chair and follow me. And then you're like, this isn't going well. This is preposterous. He misled me. He said, pick up your electric chair and follow him. Your life's going far better than he said it would, right? I mean, he says in verse 20 in chapter 15, he says, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. And so we shouldn't be mad at him when we go through trials. We should be mad at the false teacher we've been listening to that told us our whole life would be better. And guys, this is super important too for people like me and some of you who are people pleasers. I really need to hear this passage. Some of us are, we don't just like to be liked, we need to be liked. We need people's approval. And it's reasonable, guys, to not want to be hated, okay? Like, if you were like, I don't care if I'm hated, I like it, I'd be like, okay, well, that's a problem too. You know, like, <laughs> that's not normal either. It's okay to want to be liked. Those things are fine. But when we need to be liked, then what we have done is we put human approval above God's approval, you know? And so um, it, this teaching is especially important for those of us who struggle with that. Um, you guys have probably heard before, you know, you can't please... Um, all the people all the time. Have you ever heard that before? Guys, you can't please all the people any of the time. You guys realize that? Everybody wants something different from you. Every choice you make will be opposed. If social media teaches us anything, it teaches us that every choice we make will be opposed by somebody, right? Somebody will not like everything we do. And guys, what makes us think that following Jesus, which is the biggest decision you can make in your life, is gonna be loved by everybody around you? Some people will definitely be unhappy with your choice to really follow Jesus. And so what do we need to do? Instead of listening and having thousands of voices that we have to somehow please, we have one voice we need to please, and it comes from this book. It's God's voice. Isn't that a relief? I just think, like, being a people pleaser, there's this one book on people pleasing, and it's got this dog doing tricks. You ever feel like that? Like, you know, for those of you that are people pleasers, you're constantly doing tricks to try and entertain everybody and make everybody like you and manage everybody's opinions of you. And then to find out that there's only one view that matters, God's voice, is awesome. You have one boss. You have one master. You have one Lord. And that is great freedom if you can live in it. 
And so um, if somebody, when somebody doesn't like you following Jesus, when they oppose you, when they hate you, what Jesus wants to say to you here is that it's not a sign you're doing anything wrong. I feel like a lot of times, you know, somebody's mad at me, I did something wrong. That's like the immediate response. And he says here, it's not a sign you did anything wrong. It's actually a sign that you've been living openly for Jesus. Jesus wants to tell you this morning that it's not personal against you. Take a look at verse 15. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. Or look at verse 21. For all these things they will do to you because of my name. Or verse 16, 3, he says, they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. Jesus is saying, it's not personal against you. It's personal against me. It's personal against me. It's because you've identified with me. Um, Jesus is saying, and wants us to hear that clearly. And we might ask why. Why is it such an annoying, irritating, angering thing that you would follow Jesus? Like, what, why is the world bothered by that? I mean, we live in a world that's supposedly very tolerant and open and, hey, whatever works for you is great. Do that. Oh, I like how that's working for you. Oh, and you do that. And then it's like, well, I'm a Christian. Oh, don't do that. What is it? What is it about Jesus? Jesus gives us two things here that are, um, that are particularly irritating to the world, and they are that Jesus has taken over your life and Jesus is threatening to take over their lives. First, Jesus has taken over your life. Look at verse 19. He says, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I've chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Guys, when a person becomes a Christian, they're no longer owned by the same things that used to own them. People in the world are owned by all kinds of things. When you become a Christian, you're no longer owned by the thing that used to own you. And that can produce enormous strain on your relationships with non-Christians. You know, when, when you're no longer owned by what owns them. And there's a lot of ways to be owned by the world, isn't there? There's a lot of things that can own us. There's a lot of things that can take our control. Jesus says here, he says, you know, if you were their own, they would love you. You know, if I'm owned by my career, then my coworkers and my clients can count on a certain measure of control over me. But if I'm not owned by my career, they don't have that. If I'm owned by lust, that's something that I can pursue with other people and we have common ground there. If I'm owned by drunkenness or some sort of substance abuse, that's something we can share, that's common ground. That's something that owns me and owns them. If I'm owned by my family, they'll have some measure of control over me. If I'm owned by my weekend pursuits and my leisure, you can always count on me to join you on Sunday morning. If I'm owned by my possessions, we have common ground there. But as soon as that ownership is transferred to Jesus, it can really be a strain on the relationship. And you guys have all experienced this. When you first saw the greatness of Jesus, your heart was captivated by him. You were no longer owned by the things that used to own you. Your affections are now owned by Jesus. And your relationships with people that are owned by those things has been damaged. Not everybody's gonna be cool with the fact that you're owned by Jesus. Um, 1 Peter 4.3, he says, for the time has passed is sufficient for doing what the Gentiles or non-believers want to do, living in sensuality and passions and drunkenness, drinking parties and lawless idolatries. With respect to this, Listen to this. They're surprised when you don't follow them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. That's what happens, right? Some of you became Christians recently and your friends are like, hey, let's go do this. And you're like, nah. They're like, what's wrong with you? And then what comes next? Passage says, they malign you. You know, there's attacks. They say, you know, I don't like what you've become. What do you mean? You've become Jesus's. You're his. It bothers me. 
You know, it's, it's put something between us. But Jesus doesn't just stop there. He doesn't just take over your life. He threatens to take over their lives. Look at verse uh, 20. He says, if they kept my words, they would keep yours also. Guys, Jesus' words, his teachings come with ultimate authority over every man, woman, and child. That's why it's not popular. Jesus taught with authority. Authority over everyone. Not whatever is good for you is good for you and whatever you like to do over here. He says, no, all of you, I have authority over you. Jesus says that, right? You know, in the synagogues in Jesus' time, when they would teach, a guy would get up and teach. Then we sat down, the leaders would all say, amen, amen, or truly, truly. They would all kind of stamp it with their approval. They would say, what he said is good. You know what Jesus did when he taught? He said, truly, truly up front. (laughs) He said, I don't need any of you to stamp my approval. I'm gonna do it ahead of time. Here it is. Guys, our culture doesn't like that. And they marveled with this authority and it drove them crazy and it drives people crazy today. Everybody's pretty nice and likes Jesus until his teachings confront their lives. And they do almost immediately. (laughs) You know, I think about... um, Think about Gandhi, you know, the famous quote from Gandhi was, um, you know, I like their Christ, but I don't like the Christians, right? I like Christ, but I don't like Christians. I like their Christ, you know, but I don't like Christians. Um, I don't think Gandhi was interacting with Jesus there. I don't think he was really interacting with the actual material that Jesus said. Because if he really interacted with the, and I get what he's saying, there's something to be said there, (laughs) okay? We don't look like Jesus, I got that. But if he were to interact with the actual words of Jesus, he would not like that either, okay? His authority. And guys, his authority is bothersome to people, but it's clearly true. Look at verse 22. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done these works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and both hated me and my father but the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. Guys, Jesus' teaching, his authoritative teaching, is clearly true. He clearly has the authority he said he has. And so you might not like it, but it's true. And I'll show you, Jesus says it's true in two ways. You can look at the teaching itself, and you can look at his works. You can look at his words and his works. First, his words. Look at verse 22. He says, if I hadn't come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now, they're not, they're, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Guys, there's this underlying assumption, and maybe you guys have interacted with it in college. I certainly have, and, 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 and a lot of times, that basically all religions, they basically just sound the same and believe the same things. Have you guys heard that before? That if you take all the religions, they basically all teach basically the same things. And I've had people say this to me even recently. Well, you know, the you'd agree with me that they all kind of basically teach the same thing. They all basically sound the same. You guys realize they don't, right? I mean, (laughs) they don't sound the same. In fact, when you compare the words of Jesus to some of these other options, they don't measure up at all. And that's not just my opinion. I mean, you could objectively see this. And sometimes I'll back up with people, or even in my own heart when I have doubts, and I'll start here. I'll start with, does this world seem like it was created? Or does it seem like it just came about on its own? And you sit back and you look at it and you think about it and you think, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense that this came from nothing, right? Or this is eternally existent matter. So I think, okay, yeah, probably creator. Is that creator personal or an impersonal force? Like, is he a personal being that you can know or is he an impersonal force? And I think about that and I think, you know, there's this species that lives on this planet, these bizarre creatures called human beings. 
that are very much personal and have relationships and, you know, have drama and they think about their lives and they're all churned up in knots. I mean, these weird creatures, right? And I think it would be very strange for a personal being like that to, personal beings like us, to be created by some impersonal force. Where did the personality come from? Makes more sense that the creator's personal, creates personal beings in his image. And then you think, okay, if there's a personal God and he spoke to us, which of the written texts are the most likely his? Put them out on a table. Have you read them? Is it the Quran? Is it the Bhagavad Gita? Is it the I Ching? Or is it the Bible? Set them all out and read them. I think you should. I think if you're thinking all religions basically teach the same thing, you should look at it. Jesus' words are in a completely different league than anything else you'll read. I've read them. I would challenge you. I'm not afraid of you doing it. I think if you put the, you know, the words of the Quran next to Jesus' words, it's going to be very obvious which one is from the creator. I think if you open up the Bhagavad Gita and you compare it or the I Ching or any of these sacred texts, supposedly, I think you'll find that Jesus is in a league, in a league far beyond a totally different league than theirs. He's so clearly the truth. And that's what he's saying here. He says, if I hadn't spoken to them, they might have an excuse, but they've heard my words. Guys, have you ever been reading through the Bible and read something that Jesus said and thought, you know, I think I could put that better. Have you ever done that? Have you ever thought, like, you know how he should have phrased it more like this, right? I do that when I'm reading things. I've never done that with Jesus. John Gerstner said this, no one has yet discovered the word that Jesus ought to have said or the deed he ought to have done. Nothing he does falls short. In fact, we're always surprised by him and our breath is taken away because Jesus is incomparably better than you could possibly ever have imagined for yourself. He is tenderness without weakness, strength without harshness, humility without the slightest lack of confidence. He's holiness and unbending conviction without the slightest lack of approachability. He is power without insensitivity, passion without prejudice. There's never a false step. There's never a jarring note. This is life at its highest. He's so evidently the truth. So there's his words. There's also his works. He says in verse 24, if I had not done these works, that no one else did, they wouldn't have been guilty of sin. He's like, I've proven it not with my words only, but with my works as well. His works show his authority. I mean, we look at Jesus and there's no one else in history that anyone, anyone's even ever claimed significantly that's ever done more miracles than Jesus. He stands out in history as this huge spotlight. Um, and, and his biggest one was he came back from physical life after being dead for three days. He didn't just, you know, appear to people. He came back to physical life in three days. And so we're asked to, to question when we see his works, when we see his miracles, when we see his resurrection, we don't just ask ourselves, who was this person? We ask ourselves, what is he? I mean, he's something beyond human. His miracles prove his message. They authenticate it. And so we have this man, Jesus, claimed to be the savior of the world, um, his life, his teaching, and his miracles prove it. And so verse 25 says that when the world hated him, they hated him without cause. He left him no cause to hate him. Isn't that amazing? They hated him without cause. And that's the way Jesus, guys, has called us to live in this world that's hostile to him. If they're gonna hate us, they need to hate us without cause, right? Um, and we do the same thing that Jesus did. We're called to bring his word and his works First, we're called to bring his word. We're called to bring the gospel, guys. We actually need to communicate the message of the gospel to our friends, our neighbors, our family, and our coworkers. We need to do that. We've been called to do that. You guys familiar with St. Francis? 
St. Francis, he's the animal guy, right? So you might see, like, you go to get a fountain, and you got, like, a little saint, and he's got animals around him. That's St. Francis. Animals liked him. Um, he was born in about 1181. And he's quoted as saying, but I'm not convinced he's really said this, he's quoted as saying, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Okay? Which is insane. I don't think he actually said it, because it's like saying, feed the poor, and if necessary, use food. Okay? Because the gospel is words. Okay? You can't preach the gospel wordlessly. And I understand what whoever came up with that meant. What they meant is our lives need to fit the gospel, right? But you cannot preach the gospel without words. We have to communicate it. We have to communicate this gospel message. And the message is this, that God created a beautiful, sinless world. And then he created to live in it a beautiful, sinless people. And then those people rebelled against him. We've all rebelled against him. We become hostile to him. We don't want him messing with our lives. We don't want him taking control of our lives. We've actually all hated him. Okay? And God responded not by increasing the level of hostility, but with love. So God himself becomes a man. He enters this world that hates him, and he enters it in a very strange way. He doesn't show up with weapons in an army, right? He shows up as a defenseless baby, human baby. And that baby grows up, and that baby is the man Jesus. He lives a perfect life. He lives the kind of life we all know that we should have lived, a life that loves everyone, a life of compassion, a life of service, a life of forgiveness, a life of peace, also a life, though, of telling the truth and fighting injustice. And at the end of this beautiful life that Jesus has, he allows himself to be hated in the most graphic and personal way. He allows himself to be arrested. He allows himself to be falsely tried, to be beaten, to be whipped, to be nailed to rough wood, and to die. And he does this to pay the penalty for all of our sins. All of those times that we hated his interruption into our lives, he has paid for. Isn't that amazing? That the God of the universe, instead of unleashing on us all the wrath that our sin deserves, God becomes a man and allows that wrath to be unleashed on himself. That's the message of the gospel. And Cornelius Plantinga said this. He said, in the death of Jesus, in his death, Jesus absorbed the world's evil into himself without passing it on back to them. And so cut the loop of vengeance that has cycled down for the ages. Because that's the way it works, right? You slap me, I slap you. Or you slap me, I hit you. And then you stab me. And then I shoot you. <laughs> like, that's the way it works, right? And what we see with the God of the universe is, is that he has been slapped and stabbed and beaten and responds with love. And you can receive that total forgiveness if you'll trust in him. And he'll give you a new life. He'll give you the same kind of life that he lived, living through you. And it happens the moment that you'll turn away from that sin that owns you, and you know what that is. As soon as you'll turn away from that sin that owns you and trust in Jesus. Guys, let's have confidence in that message. You know, when did we decide we were gonna stop sharing that? You know, when did we decide we were gonna be quiet? I was thinking this week a lot about persecution. You think about the persecuted church and the things they go through. We should be 10 times as vocal, right? We're 10% as vocal. You know, when did we stop thinking about it? When did we stop sharing our testimony? You know, to share the testimony of how, how Jesus has changed our lives. We should, we should talk about that transformation. We should invite people here to hear the gospel. 
You know, in the fall when we start some groups, we should be inviting them into that. We've had some real cool things happen lately um, with um, people coming into groups that we have and hearing the gospel for the first time. And that message changes lives. It changes lives. But the other thing we need to seek too is we need to seek the works of Jesus. This seek the works of Jesus. We need to see Jesus transform our lives. We need to abide in Christ so that that beautiful life flows through us. So that when we're hated, we have the same response Jesus had, which is to love him back because we're so filled with Jesus. You know why Jesus responded with love when he was beaten and stabbed and all those things, right? He's full of love. You stab him, he bleeds love. If we, as we abide in Christ, you stab us, we bleed love. And we also need to also pursue, guys, and I, I can't leave this out, the supernatural works of Jesus. You know, Jesus is still at work through his spirit doing supernatural things. Look at verse 26. I love this because the, the, the disciples could have been like super burdened by now as he's telling them all this stuff, like, they're gonna hate you. They're gonna kill you. All this stuff, right? And then Jesus says this, look at verse 26, but, but when the helper comes. Isn't that cool? When the helper comes, but when the helper comes, whom I've sent from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. He's gonna bear witness in multiple ways. He's gonna bear witness in helping you be bold to share the gospel as you pray and seek him. He's gonna bear witness by um, testifying in their own hearts that it's true. As they see Jesus, they're gonna desire him. And he's gonna bear witness by surprising answers to prayer, guys. Guys, there's a huge temptation right now to try and accomplish the mission of God apart from the truth and the power of God, isn't there? I'll give you an example, a funny example. Like we could have this morning put out lures in here. We could pay to do it. You can pay to put out lures for Pokemon, okay? You could get this room full, okay? And then once you get this room full of Pokemon, you know what happens? They come. Some of them are here, okay, and the, those of you who are here, I'm like, I think it's awesome. It's great, cheap entertainment for you and your kids and stuff like that, okay? But listen, I would tell you guys, don't touch them, those are for the visitors. <laughs> and then we'd have, like, people walking in, we'd have all these new faces, confused faces joining us, and then I guess we'd lock the doors. <laughs> but I seriously saw this advised, okay? I seriously saw this advised. Or, you know, we could focus on, like, fog, and lasers, and apparently there's something called phasers, which I think is a mixture of fog and lasers. <laughs> like, there's things you can do. There's, and we, we do it, too, on other levels. Like, sometimes we think, man, if I only played my guitar well enough, and, or I sang well enough, or I greeted people well enough, or if he would just, at one point, teach well enough, or, you know, if we did everything right to a certain level, on 85% or something like that, you see conversions, okay? Doesn't work that way, guys doesn't work that way. It's about the words and the work of Jesus coming through the Spirit. It's about God meeting us here. And I know some of you are more convinced of our need for, for truth, and I know there's some of you that are more convinced of our need for the Holy Spirit's power, but we need both, okay? We need both. Take a look at Acts 4. Take a look at the way they prayed. Early church, Acts 4.29. Listen to this. This is their prayer. And they're being persecuted a little bit already. It's coming more later in Acts, but it's already starting. He says, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant that your servants continue to speak your word with all boldness, right? The message of the gospel. And then listen to this. Two parts. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders 
that you perform through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then listen to this, and continue to speak the word of God with boldness. Guys, we need to have confidence in the amazing power of the Holy Spirit to change us, to speak his word through us, and to do amazing things through prayer and to open the hearts of non-Christians so that when they interact with us, if they end up hating us, they hate us without cause. They say, you know what? Their lives are different, you know? And there is something going on there, but I hate it. Okay, can't do anything about that, you know? If they're gonna hate us, they hate us without cause. Um, I just wanna end with this, guys. If you're a believer here this morning, you're not gonna fall away. You're not gonna fall away if you know ahead of time persecution's coming, which you do. If you know that when you are persecuted, it's because they see Jesus in you. Isn't that a relief? It's actually almost strangely encouraging, isn't it? It's because they see Jesus in you. And if you sense the presence of the Holy Spirit, your helper bringing truth and power of Jesus through you. If you have those things, you're not gonna fall away. Peter said this. He said this about people. Some of you guys right now are enduring some persecution. In 1 Peter 4, 14, he talks about being insulted for the name of Jesus. Like, that counts, okay? He said this, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. There's a special experience of intimacy and communion in the presence of God for you as you're insulted for Jesus. You guys remember Peter? First time he's persecuted, what happens? He runs, right? He denies and he runs. Next time, what does he do? He stands, See it in Acts 4. He stands. What about the last time he was persecuted? Crucified upside down. Something happened. Something happened. You know that the Proverbs say that the, um, the righteous are as bold as lions. Peter didn't start off that way. He didn't start off that way. But Jesus' love made him bold. It made him brave. Jesus is going to do the same thing for you. Let's pray. You've been listening to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church, Menifee. If you would like to know more about the Menifee campus, visit us online at cubgrace.org slash menifee.